Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello, and welcome to Safety Talk. I am your host and personal safety expert, Pete Canavan. I'm joined by my colleague, branding and social media expert, Neil Haley. Neil, how are you on this fine day? I'm doing fine, Pete. Excited about the uh, week ahead and to talk safety. But I mean, to think about specifically all the tragedies that have been happening since the last time we talked, it's like, wow, it's, uh, it's, it's, you've got to be busy right now, Pete. It never ends. All these different things. You know, it never ends. And just, you know, you wish it would, and it just doesn't. And every time you think uh, you've seen it all, you realize you haven't. And, uh, and something else comes up that, uh, that shocks us. And, you know, I always start off with, uh, with a different news item here or two. And it's kind of hard to get away from, uh, from what's been in the news over the last couple of days. So, you know, we're just going to touch on it a little bit and uh, maybe uh, bounce it off tonight's guest. But, you know, the hottest news item right now is this uh, suspicious death of the alleged sex offender and sex trafficker, Jeffrey Epstein. Apparently, he has committed, quote, suicide. And there are so many questions surrounding this, I don't even know where to begin. So I'm just going to say this. Uh, First, it is highly unusual for an inmate to successfully commit suicide, uh, especially one who has been on a watch list and then mysteriously taken off of it. All right. Uh, Secondly, uh, is it mere coincidence that a day after a very telling report comes out and is released that names certain individuals that this happens? Yeah. Right. And third, uh, there's always the possibility, of course, that due to his connections with uh, a lot of high-profile people uh, and powerful people that, you know, he was silenced. And, uh, you know, obviously we're going to see what comes up in the weeks ahead. Uh, But at this point, there are obviously more questions than answers. uh, Ultimately, the Bureau of Prisons is responsible for the health and the safety of everyone in their custody. So it's going to be very interesting to see if there's any video footage that surfaces, any other evidence. Uh, the result of whatever sort of investigating that's going to be done. But at this point, you know, his death has not been definitively ruled a suicide. Uh, the medical examiner's final report is going to be interesting to say the least. So I'm going to chat with tonight's guest a little bit briefly about this before we get into our show and uh, specifics of what he has to talk about. So speaking of our guest tonight, uh, our guest brings a wealth of professional experience to his role and his passion, which is protecting people against those that wish them harm. Uh, Now retired, he has worked as a detective and sergeant for the New York Police Department, the NYPD, working in high crime and in violent areas where he saw the worst of humanity. Uh, During his years with New York's finest, homicide rates were astronomical at that point in time, and his assignments placed him on the front lines of the wars against crack cocaine. Uh, the societal breakdown that that drug caused obviously were things that were, you know, we saw in the news and it was very, very disturbing. So his experiences, although in that area, have helped him enormously as he transitioned away from the New York Police Department into corporate security work. So he is uh, he's also the former vice president and chief security officer for U.S. Bank Corp. And he has co-authored a book called Workplace Safety, Establishing an effective violence prevention program. And I think this is something obviously that every business needs to look at today is how they can cut down on workplace violence because we never know what's going to happen and how it's going to happen and what form it's going to take. Uh, our guest has consulted with many organizations helping them create uh, effective violence prevention plans, response programs, 
Uh, and he currently serves for uh, business development. He's the executive vice president for business development for Crotega, which is a safety solutions company that works to deter, disrupt, and delay active shooters. So he's seen the failures of traditional measures, and uh, you know it's time to think outside the box, as he puts it. So uh, it's ironic but timely that we had scheduled our interview for this week in the wake of both last week's you know, violence perpetrated in Texas and Ohio, uh, but also was his role as a police officer in New York where all of his stuff with Epstein has gone down. So it's my pleasure to welcome Dan Murphy to Safety Talk. So, Dan, thanks for being on Safety Talk with us tonight. Yeah, Thank you, Pete. It's my pleasure. Much, much appreciate the opportunity to be here and to uh, talk with you about some of these timely things and um, some of the things I have a passion for. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, sh we share that passion for protecting and keeping people safe, uh, you know, from those that would do them harm because there are these people out there and that's what they do and we don't really necessarily understand why that is all the time. So I'm thrilled you have to, you know, to talk on that. Uh, before we dive in, I got to get your, your insights a little bit into this thing with Epstein because you worked as a, a police officer in New York. In fact, just before we got started, you told me you actually worked in the building that was housing him. So what's your kind of two cents on this of what you can say or were willing to say for us? Well, I, I, let me just start out by saying I'm not a conspiracy theorist and, and I will always, <laughs> until I see evidence or I'm told um, by people who I trust what they think of the case or what, what, what's provable as opposed to what I think. Okay. Looks suspicious as heck. You have to say that. Yes. Uh, I, working in that building, I, I wasn't assigned to that building per se. That's the same building, actually, the U.S. Attorney's Office is a part of it. And when I was a detective, I worked a lot of federal repo cases against violent gangs, and I was in that building three or four times a week. Uh, and the MCC, the Metropolitan Correctional Center, is a federal facility run by the Bureau of Prisons. In that building, uh, a lot of the people I arrested federally cooperated. That's just the nature of the game. You arrest people on federal repo charges, they're cooperating because they're looking at the rest of their life without any possibility of parole in a tiny cell, and all of a sudden they, be, they become very verbal and they want to talk to you. Right. And some of them are housed there for convenience. So if the high-profile inmate, not a high-profile, but serious RICO charges, murders, uh, human trafficking, drug trafficking, uh, things like that, they are going to be housed there for a while, let's say for a week, for fully debriefing. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time going downstairs in that building. I've been through the building. I've seen the private rooms they have for interviews. I've seen how coordinated it is that they keep people separated. The Marshal Service works in tandem with the Bureau of Prisons there. Um, and something about this just doesn't smell right. like, like it went down the way somebody wants us to believe. But that's all. Why don't they, here's the thing. Why, as, as now I'm becoming a video surveillance expert, meaning I've been in the industry starting for like the last 10 months, meaning I'm really understanding specifically enough how important video surveillance is. I'm finding out in certain areas, certain very important areas, they don't have great video surveillance. Uh, for case in point, I don't know if you heard of the story of Brian Christopher, Brian, Jerry Lawler's son com committed suicide, and they're suing the jail right now in Tennessee regarding it. It just came out as a lawsuit a year ago. He, he committed suicide when basically they lost footage of the cameras, meaning they said the cameras weren't working at the time he committed suicide, and no one was watching. Why aren't we protecting our inmates like we should to the point where you know, things like this would not happen? Meaning it, we would just close this conspiracy right off. We said we have surveillance of the hallway right. and the area and when people were in and out the last 24 hours or 48 hours. 
plain and simple. Then it would all be, okay, he committed suicide. But if they can't say that they had any footage or surveillance, why are, why are prisons not trying to secure the, the protection of their inmates? That's a good question, especially a federal prison with high-profile inmates and especially someone who had been on the suicide watch and had uh, an unexplained or at least suspicious injury just a week ago. Uh, I, I can't understand. I can't speak to it. I can't speak to one thing that is common in the security world, and that's complacency. You get after a while, nothing happens, and it's easy to turn your head away from cameras and monitors. It's easy to think that what you have is sufficient. Um, a lot of people don't like to spend money on security technology until they get bitten by something like this. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain you'll see some contractors pulling up and submitting bids to the Bureau of Prisons to uh, upgrade and enhance the standards at the Metropolitan Correctional Center. I, I think that's happening as we speak. Do you think that you didn't, I know you didn't hear anything, but do you think that the fact is that probably they didn't have the right surveillance system in the hallways and areas? Because they, they say you can't film inmates, but I think when inmates are on suicide watch, they should create one where there is a camera so that the, then you're monitoring it in two ways, not just the security guards. They said they were asleep. Right. That, that came out that they were tired and overslept. Well, there's two reasons. Yeah. No, and, and the city correctional uh, services in New York City Department of Correction is not immune to exhausted correction officers, too. These are jobs that they're having a hard time filling. And so when you work for the New York City Department of Correction, you come in to work for an eight in the morning to four. It's routinely common that you're going to stay for a double. So you get tired, you get complacent, um, you get bored. A lot of things happen in these jobs. There's a human element that better technology could actually help. Um, you can't expect a person to be on the top of their game after working 16 hours. It's just not human, although it's something I had to do quite a bit. But it's when you're dragging, you're not paying attention. You're not nearly as coherent and as sharp as you should be. In this case, with cameras, I, I don't know exactly what the rules are for inmates in, in federal correctional facilities. I do know that there's probably a strong argument for some expectation of privacy in your cell so you can change clothes and stuff right. like that. Um, but I would think that you would in certain cases with certain high-profile inmates, uh, especially suicide watches, you'd want to be able to uh, to see better than that. But these are questions I I wish I had better answers to, but I um, it sounds to me like if they had any video coverage of what was going on in the cell, we would have had answers already. Well, and they wouldn't have the system like I got to see when I was at Cupic that blew me away and I let Pete go after that, that where basically we could track an object from a certain period of time and go back hours upon hours to that specific spot in that object. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, and without having to go through hours of footage on right. edge, just find the areas when there's motion. But none mm -hmm. of that stuff's discussed in this. And that's where I was shocked. And I said, if I had, if I was running the PR for the company I work for, I would have been on every major show talking about video surveillance because we're not hearing that. But go ahead, Pete. Well, I mean, it's, the, the problem too is, I mean, security or technology can fail or it can be tampered with. And so mm -hmm. that's a whole nother sort of topic that's, that's that we would have to. That's the movies when they had, you could pull the tape. Like I remember the uh, you show. You could pull the her. digital file. So I mean, it's I essentially could. the same. You could, but you, you could, but then that would be a lot of marks on it. Yep. Be able to do that. Yeah. Well, depending on the, uh, shall we say, motivation behind it. 
True. Mm-hmm. Okay. You, you, you know what I mean? You just never know. So I will leave it at that, but I had to at least touch on it at the top of the show here to, uh, and to get our New York retired police department, detective his input on it so i appreciate that dan so let's let's sure. dive right in now to uh to this sensitive topic and yet it's, it's sensitive but it's imperative and that is the topic of protecting people against those that wish to do them harm now you say and i agree with you that traditional approaches to security have been proven to fail against someone who's determined someone who's armed uh someone who has made the commitment that they are going to kill people so obviously we do need a new approach we need multiple new approaches, I think. So uh, maybe you can expand a little bit of that on, uh, on that a little bit for our listeners. Sure. You know, interestingly enough, um, I, I, I do a presentation sometimes for certain groups, and one of the slides I have is just a picture of Cain and Abel. And I ask people, you know, does anyone know who these two people are? And someone will get it. It's Cain and Abel. It's, you know, biblical picture. Mm-hmm. And I say, what are they doing? And they're trying to kill each other. And I say, there's four people in the world, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and two of them are trying to kill each other. What does that say about human nature? We all have the capacity for violence in us. A variety of things can either enhance or blow that up or tamper it down. You can be more civilized. You can be uh, in easier life. You can have less exposures to violence. A lot of things can do that. Like I just said, likewise, though, a lot of things can inflame it. And so I think, I think we have a variety of things at play with what's going on right now with uh, these mass shootings. Um, first of all, I think it's important to recognize that while we are seeing a rise and a rise in coverage of mass shootings, we're also seeing um, a couple of, well, decade and a half at least, if not two decades, of significant decreases in overall homicide rates in our country. And there's a lot of reasons for that, too. Uh, how do the two go together? Well, they're separate. The average homicide that happens in this country is probably a domestic or a robbery or drug-related, gang-related, um, something along those lines. And that, those are the types that I routinely saw. A lot of domestics, a lot of gang-related, drug-related shootings. So if you, if you crack down on certain elements of society that are doing these crimes, the criminals, it's not like Jack Mabel from the NYPD once said, it's not, it's not crime, it's criminals. Um, in New York City, we theorized we had uh, 30 or 40,000 career criminals who were responsible for hundreds of thousands of police reports every year. Well, if they all have warrants and they're all wanted for things, lock them up aggressively, target them and get them off the street. And it worked. It reduced crime significantly. So societal, in terms of society with what's going on uh, with all these shootings, you know, I, I have a variety of things that, that come to my mind. And I watch the talking heads and I, and I see people on television and they, they, they posit these ideas. Why don't we arm teachers? Why don't we uh, hire every retired military and law enforcement person and right. put for them with MP5s and situate them outside every school in America? And it's not realistic. I, I, it's ridiculous. I want to scream. I want to scream because it's a knee-jerk emotional response. And you know better than anybody else, when you're talking about safety, security, you have to be based in reality. You have to practicality, reasonableness, and sustainability. You cannot put a program in place that is not sustainable because once the money drives out, dries out, or once the appetite for it dries out, you're back where you started. And I see that commonly, knee-jerk reactions and then withdrawing everything that you've done. Now, you, there are traditional security measures. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are 
failing for various reasons. Mm-hmm. What what does that mean? You know, these traditional security measures that yeah. we have in place and, you know, how is it that maybe they are working, some are not working, what can we do to improve them? Well, you know, when I talk about traditional security measures, what I'm talking about is if you walk into 95% of the office buildings and commercial buildings in America, you will see a camera system, maybe an access control system where the employees have badges, maybe an unarmed security guard at the front desk, maybe just a receptionist. You'll have alarms on the doors when they close the building at night. You'll have the basics. Those are the basics. And if you talk to the average executive and you ask them about the security of their buildings, they will tell you, we have a security program, we have a security director, we have guards, we have cameras, we have a secure building. Right. 99.9% of the time, those measures are effective against the day-to-day visitors. Correct. The day-to-day person who maybe forgets their key, something that happens that's normal. But they fold immediately in the face of an armed intruder. They always do. We see it the time. And the reason they fold is because they were not intended, designed, or trained, or equipped to handle that situation. Yep. Yet people somehow think they will. And people act surprised afterwards. Well, we had a guard. You had an unarmed guard. If you don't understand the nature of what it is that you, you brought to play, you can never be realistic about your expectation. If I take a $12 an hour guard, put him at the front desk unarmed, and his my contract with his company says he has eyes and ears, he reports, he doesn't touch people, he does visitor administration, he does rounds, he helps uh, people with questions, information questions. That is the basic security officer job. It is not tackling people with guns. You're not paying enough for that. They're not trained or equipped for it. Not I never saw a camera hour. jump off a wall. Yeah, no. And I never saw a camera jump off a wall and grab anybody. And I, I've never seen an access control system that cannot be breached. You realize a couple of years ago, Uh, I think it was the last year of the Obama administration, we had two people successfully scale the fences at the White House and make it inside the White House with ill intent. That's with secret service protection. So if a determined person can do that, they can certainly blow right past traditional security measures, and they do all the time. So 99% of the time, 99.9, those measures do what they're supposed to do. But people fail to realize that they don't stand up against life and death threats and they're not intended to. And so I think what is... Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Pete. Well, I was just going to say, I think that what we're seeing is the... Most people do the minimum they feel is necessary because of the cost. And so to mm-hmm. them to hire, you know, somebody who's a security guard and put them at the front door, armed or unarmed, you know, th- there's obviously a big difference. But... That person, even if they're armed, they're working for a security company, chances are they haven't had the same amount of training. They've never been exposed to the same amount of duress that would occur if somebody came in with guns blazing. And Mm -hmm. so to have someone there all the time that does have a little bit more experience or is more, you know, better trained for being able to respond to that sort of situation, they're going to have to pay for it. And most companies Mm -hmm. are thinking, wait a minute, it's going to cost me how much now? How can I justify paying somebody... 50 bucks an hour to sit mm-hmm. around just in case something happens. Can't I just right. rely on my locks and my monitors and everything else? And the, the yeah. answer is you could, but should you, right? Mm-hmm. Depending on the target and the profile and, and, you know, all these other things, but it doesn't matter. You could have the, you know, we just saw that with, you know, at Walmart, it doesn't matter what the business is. It could be a super secure 
you know, high-end office building with high-profile right. targets, or it could be somebody who's just at the local shopping mall or shop, right. you know, going to the supermarket that mm -hmm. could be the victim. So you have to, the individual, and I, I said this last week's show, and I, I say this frequently, that the responsibility has to, has to really come back on the individual to a certain extent, but in places that have the responsibility of putting in adequate security, you better make sure that you're doing that because if something happens, the finger's going to come pointing right back at you. Right. The finger and, and the lawyers. And the lawyers. And they will tear apart any safety or security program you have and they will find gaping holes and you will pay. That's the way it is. Um, you know, active shooters, the possibility of an active shooter coming into any one building, whether it be a specific school or a specific office building, is a statistical improbability. It is infinitesimally small chance it will happen, which doesn't mean it's not severe risk. If it does happen, people are dead. But right. the chances of it happening are not. They're, they're not. They're not that huge. So what we're hearing is we need to have the best security possible what we can afford. But at the end of the day, it's more about uh, this won't happen, but we have to be secure. So we have to be whatever we can afford, but then also we have to be aware as well. That's well situation awareness is important, but also yeah. prepared, but we, it might never happen. It's just like having an insurance policy on our life. Right. Maybe we're not going to die from this freak accident at 45, but just mm -hmm. in case we, we have it. Right. Everybody wears a seatbelt, although not everybody is ejected from a vehicle. But we, we wear it because it's law and because it makes sense and because it's a, a practical uh, risk mitigation factor. When you think about um, active shooters and you think about preparing an organization for one, one of the things that I always ask people is uh, fire suppression systems, does your building have one? Of course they do because they're code for buildings over a certain size. And how did they become code? They became code because buildings were burning Fire suppression systems were invented in the 19th century, believe it or not. Uh, the Industrial Revolution was causing buildings to be built on a bigger scale with zero concept of fire suppression. They were tinder boxes. They went up quick. Doors were locked so employees couldn't take breaks and leave, and people were dying. So they built it for th the three reasons that make sense. One, fire spreads quickly. Fire is highly lethal, and you simply couldn't wait for the fire department to get there. You have to do something to give people a chance to live. Uh, which is why I, I love the product from Cortega that at any point we can get into. But um, you do need to do something smart. And there's a reason why we don't hire fire. A fire burning a building down to the ground and killing occupants in it is not that common. Right. It doesn't happen that much anymore. But nonetheless, we still take the precaution of, of building in suppression system. It's not seen. It's there. It's forgotten about unless you need it. It's the Absolutely. same reason. And we don't hire two firefighters to walk around a building with backs on their back, waiting for a highly improbable fire. Right. So and it's kind of the same thing. In fact, the, the probability yeah. of a fire happening is probably much greater than an active shooter. I think I read that it, you, you have a greater chance of being struck by lightning twice than being mm -hmm. involved in an active shooter or active killer event, whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. So obviously we know that the traditional way of securing any place, you know, whether it's schools or businesses or, or stores or whatnot is, is failing in, you know, badly in this regard, um, just because we're, they're not equipped for it. Um, mm -hmm. So what do you feel is needed in order to make progress against active shooters and do it in a way that maybe is similar, <laughs> hint, hint, to uh, a fire suppression system? 
Yeah, no, and, and thanks for the segue. I appreciate that. Uh, we have to do. We have to be smart about the technology we have at our disposal. If you can use technology to eliminate the need for a human being to be the first person to confront a shooter, uh, as, as chief security officer, I built programs for companies, uh, my own companies I work for, and as a consultant, help them build programs for active shooter, workplace violence prevention and response, recovery, all that sort of stuff. One of the things I, I found fascinating is once I joined the company Protega and I started learning about suppression, shooter suppression systems, I called up friends I had who were CSOs and I said, do me a favor, explain to me what is your plan, what is your number one priority once someone walks into one of the buildings you're, you're, uh, you're tasked with taking care of the safety and security of, what is your number one priority once that happens? Okay. The answers I typically heard were get everyone out safe, mm -hmm. everyone hides in a safe place, call the police quickly, uh, ensure that our lockdown procedures are done. Say, okay, those are great. Those are priorities. I'm not going to argue that those are not priorities. Get your people out safe, get them to hide safe. I get it. But they're not your number one priority. If you're thinking clearly, your number one priority is stop the shooting as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And then when I say stop the shooting, I mean stop the shooting by everyone, including the cops. And I'm not putting cops down. I was one for 20 years. My heart's always with them. But let's be honest about what happens when gunfire is going off. Right. If, if a shooter's in a building shooting people, and we have, first of all, we have to wait for the cops to get there before anything confronts that person. That person has free reign for anywhere from two or four. We saw some great responses recently in Dayton, Ohio. The cops were right around the corner. They were there in right. 30 seconds, and the shooter killed nine people. It was an amazing response, and still nine people lost doesn't, their lives in less than a minute. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. And so it can happen amazingly quickly, and it usually does. So if your number one priority is to stop the shooting by everyone, and it should be, because if police engage that suspect, now more rounds are flying, usually in a confined area. And in the NYPD, every year when we, well, for outdoor training, annual training cycle, they would talk about the year before shootings. And usually it was 150 shootings or something like that. Crazy, big, big department. And they did statistics. And one, one that they always told us was our hit potential. Out of every 100 rounds fired by members of the NYPD, how many hit the intended target? And the, it was always 17 or 18. Wow. So they get two or 83 rounds flying who knows where. That's a risk elevator immediately. When you look at it through a risk lens, the only, way, the only thing that makes sense is doing something that as soon as possible stops the shooter. No, that makes perfect sense. So anyone who tells you, you know, we want to arm teachers and all that stuff, I, I, I could talk all day about yeah, That's crazy, Dan. That, that's one thing when we talk about armed teachers. But tell us about how this technology works. I'm interested in learning about it because you're talking about suppression. And sure. the fact that when we talk about, you know, an active shooter in Dayton, Ohio, and if it wasn't for that bouncer, who knows how many lives would have been uh, end up happening. Mm -hmm. That goes back to another situational awareness and somebody to put himself in the line of fire to save so many lives. So again, we talk about all these, there are people that are, save other people, but ultimately it's, we got to have everything planned together to, to deal with it but sometimes that's too much. But tell us about the product, yeah. Sure. Um, 
Cortega makes a shooter suppression system. The inventor is a gentleman named Jody Allen Crow, who's the president and CEO of the company, who's a former career school teacher and administrator. And when he was a young child in the fifth grade in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, a uh, teenager came into his, his school and shot and killed a student and then shot and killed the principal who was trying to disarm the student. Wow. Left a big impression upon him. During his career as a school administrator, he had removed weapons from kids who were troubled, uh, brought a gun to school, were looking to exact revenge, etc. He'd been through all that before, and he knew how vulnerable he felt and the rest of his staff and his kids. December 14th, 2012, Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut happens. Uh, Jody is watching TV, and he's disgusted but moved. He's moved to action. He dedicates his life. And I mean everything. Dropped everything he was doing and spent the next five years developing the Crotega Shooter Suppression System. Invented it, patented it, found mechanics, found chemists, found engineers, worked on it, worked on it, worked out the kinks, and now it is a go-to-market product. What it is, is it functions just like a fire suppression system in that when someone enters a building, whether through a variety of means, whether it be somebody sees them with a weapon, they can, they can push a threat button, or somebody, a gunshot goes off, it's tied to gunshot detection systems, or artificial intelligence in the camera system can pick up that there's a weapon. There's a three means by which a panel in a safe location or locations, a monitor that you don't have to watch until alert comes up and it, it lets you know, beep, beep, very loudly, and the cameras are tied with it and will show you visually that there's a threat. Once you see that threat on the camera, you can deploy. So it's a remotely deployed, what, it, what happens is just like fire suppression, nozzles come down out of the ceiling, it's generally hidden in drop ceilings, it is tanks. Wow. Hold eight gallons, four gallons of which can, are uh, water pressure, for, takes up water pressure, and the rest of it is repulse. Repulse is our patented water-based chemical solution that has tremendous effects on somebody without causing lasting injuries which is something different than a lot of people are used to. People ask all the time, is it like pepper spray? It's not. Pepper spray contaminates an area, an entire area. And if you're, if you're hit with it, you have a long time with your eyes underwater and you hurt for a long time. Our stuff repulse causes involuntary closure of the eyes. I don't care who you are, your eyes are closing. Once you breathe it in, you're impacted greatly as well. Your breathing becomes labored. You panic. It, it hurts your skin a little bit just enough to let you know that something's on it. Innocent people can get hit with it too, and it might upset them, but they'll be alive. Washed off very easily with water. We have numerous videotapes of testing. We've, we've taken our show on the road, Illinois, Las Vegas, done it for a variety of different organizations, and people have always told us they're gonna beat it. And then within six to 10 seconds of being under the spray, they are saying things that are just comical, you know, like, <laughs> me, help me, you know, I mean, comical for you guys, not too comical for them. <laughs> oh, well, we like watching the videos cause they're funny because the guys that are the toughest guys. I was in special forces. I, I get it. I get it. You're in special forces. I'm not doubting your toughness or your service. I'm just saying this stuff works. If you're a human being and you breathe and you have eyes, it works. Yeah. Because it's developed to work a certain way and, you know, being, right a chemical that's been developed uh, that's designed to elicit a certain response from the human nervous system. doesn't right. matter that you could be the toughest guy. You could be the, the right. smallest, most innocent little person. It's going to mm -hmm. work the same way, but yet it 
is going to affect you the same way. So it's not necessarily hazardous to the person. It just elicits a certain response where they can't see their breathing becomes labored. And then once I guess some sort of it's washed off and maybe they, mm -hmm. they breathe for a little while, it becomes normal again. Very quickly, very quickly with water. So how long are they incapacitated for? If somebody comes until in I, and hit with the spray? Until I wash them off with water. Until they're washed off. Okay. You could be, you could be 30 minutes in misery. Um, but it gives everyone a chance to get away from them, number one. It gives officers a chance when they respond. Now, part of what we're working on, um, working with the NFPA on their active shooter standard, is to define a set of events that take place of which we are one. One is the identification of a threat coming in. Two is the suppression using this system or, or another system that's like it. We're the only ones that make it now. Jody invented it. Someone's going to make something else that works as a suppression, and, and that's great. I, I just want people to start thinking of it. And also with that would be tied into mass notifications. So if you're in a building of 5,000 people, it's very important that they all get an emergency text saying, don't come down to their first floor. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And the next is a 911 call, along with live streaming video to responding cops. When I was a cop, I responded to, I can't tell you how many cases of significant violence happening at various locations. Always bad information, always was lost when I got there until I eventually figured it out. That's just the nature of the beast. Human beings under pressure and stress are going to call 911 and they're going to say what they heard from somebody. I heard it was three guys wearing no jumpsuits. <laughs> right. That's one guy wearing jeans. That's, that's what you get. Live streaming video will tell the cops, I am now pulling into a situation. Correct. Subject with the weapon is on his knees crying. The gun's been pushed away from him. I'm going to run in with my cuffs out, not my gun. It's a safe response. Uh, I'm not going to shoot kids coming out of the building with their hands up because I don't know what I'm looking for. Uh, it just it makes sense. So this is a thought-out process involving the unification of several existing technologies. It's all out there. And then, see, and when we talk about existing technologies, as I work for a company called Lensec, which is a video management software manufacturer, uh, mm -hmm. video management is the ways the future, meaning you, before the days of DVRs and stuff where you can't really control a system and right. integrate technology like your technology into the system, where ultimately when you're talking about certain technology, your technology is able to identify when there are weapons in the building, be able mm -hmm. to identify those different specific things. And then through a video management software that manages the, the security cameras, then when motion comes and specifically it identifies that there's someone with a weapon, then mm -hmm. that's when the discharge happens and then stops the active shooter. Has that happened? How, you had those times since the company's been around that have stopped active shooters? Any stories about those? I wish I had them, Neil. Um, and then I also wish <laughs> we never needed. Right. We New to market. Uh, we have I love it. I love this product. That's by the way. I just definitely want to connect. I mean, with with what we're doing because mm -hmm. as, a, as a retired police officer, what I saw the officers at Cupic that were investigators, how they liked the ease to use of our pro, our system mm -hmm. and the way we are able to, you know, go through certain footage and be able to do create certain workflow. Right. It sounds like exactly like the kind of technology that we integrate with especially with facial recognition, license plate recognition, all those different yep. things. Well, but, Neil, I look forward to talking to you about that because we are always looking for partners, uh, technology partners, to make our product better, to make it more comprehensive. Uh, our, big, our big goal here is to remove the need for human beings under enormous stress at moments of life and death to be solely responsible for their safety. 
And that's where we are right now. When an organization puts traditional security measures in a building like we talked about before, they put the basics, they put the normal stuff, and when they teach them about active shooter, it's very popular to teach run, hide, fight, which I have no problem with, but it's not enough. Run, hide, fight should never be your only plan. Because here's what run, hide, fight is. I agree, and I would, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I'm with you on that. Uh, I, thank you. Run, hide, fight. Here's what run is. Run if you can, of course. Right. If you, always exactly. Shooter if you can. I, I agree with that. It makes sense. Um, problem is you don't always know where the shots are coming from, or you may not be able to run physically, or you just, you're panicked, uh, or hide. Okay. I always ask people who to do this training, have you built safe rooms on every floor of your buildings for people to hide that are ballistically sound, have phones in them, have all the stuff you talk about? No, fail on your part right there. Now, the last one is fight. And I find this, I'm not going to be funny about it, but it's almost comical. You mean to tell me that your plan is that Jenny from accounting, who's 62, is going to fight an armed, determined killer with an AK-47, and that's your plan? That's only if Pete trains her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Pete could, but I mean, it, it's just no, but in real, No, it is unrealistic. What's she going to do, yeah. throw staples at him? I mean, yeah, he's yeah. down for half a second. Well, I mean, I mean, the, God forbid it gets to that situation, right? You, right. you train people, look. In the event that you have absolutely no other form of, you know, mm -hmm. protecting yourself, and it's you versus them, you better all get together. If there's a bunch in that room, and mm -hmm. charge them, disrupt their their ability to see, which obviously yeah. the suppression system does. But I mean, you do that by any means necessary, right? Hairspray, perfume, water, soda, you, you whatever you have at your disposal, you throw, right. you try to interrupt that, and then you have to try to overwhelm the shooter. Yeah, maybe somebody might get shot and killed or hurt. But if everybody goes all at once, then you may at least have a chance. It's obviously mm -hmm. the final, final option right. to you. And we hope that nobody ever has to get there. But in all reality, it may happen. So, yes, right. the, the run, obviously, if you can, you hide. Well, again, like you just pointed out, do you have a safe room on every, you know, uh, that's easily accessible to everybody within a certain mm -hmm. distance, whatever that distance yep. is deemed to be you know, mm -hmm. uh, a standard or realistic or whatever, and uh, and the means to put it in. And then, of course, you know, the last step. So, like you said, it's nothing wrong with it. The problem is that shouldn't be all that people are being taught. And that's right. where I like to kind of say, hey, man, we got to look at a lot it's of other options me, here. It's me completely saying to run, because if you're running in the wrong direction, bam, you're done, as you, as you talked about before. And in a lot of ways, it's a void by having the great situational awareness that Pete talks about and yourself probably as well, that you know you're aware that something's about to really come down. I'm gonna make sure I'm getting to a quick area quickly. I identified mm -hmm. that fact, but if it's too late and there's yeah. a gun, then you're gonna run the opposite direction, but there's still a chance you're gonna get hit. Right, so when an organization sets up traditional security and they train you on run, hide, fight, I'm a big believer in messaging. What is the messaging we're sending to people when we, when this is what we do? We think we're telling them how to survive, but what we're really telling them is that during the normal day-to-day -day business hours, we have your safety and security. We're responsible for it. As soon as it becomes life and death, you're on your own. Hmm. That's Good a way to put it. And it's not going to hold up to legal scrutiny. Civilly cases, I, I've done some research uh, the legal field and judges are starting to look at these cases differently. As recently as the Aurora, Colorado shooting, um, 
the civil cases were given very low financial awards because the judges have historically deemed these types of cases to be unpredictable, unstoppable. What can you do? You know, like why should we pay, ruin a company when, you know, you can't turn it into an armed camp. Um, they're looking at them differently now. And the reason, there's a couple of reasons. First is because they're happening more frequently with more severity. And second, because they don't discriminate where they happen. You name the type of business there's been an active shooter at. You name the type of building, organization, churches, schools, sporting events, concerts. Everywhere. Everywhere. So you can't get away with the, we couldn't have foreseen this thing. You'd have to be in a coma to be able to say that you didn't know that active shooters were on the, on the rise. Um, so I'm a very big believer in training people. Yes. Yes. But when your only plan is that, I think it's grossly irresponsible. What about uh, some of the other types of things that I've seen people, uh, you know, put out there, like, you know, uh, pushing like a fog or a smoke in. I mean, that I think is just going to cause more confusion in my opinion, and people are going to freak out. Now maybe they think there's a fire in addition to a shooter, right? Even if you've been trained, or have been made aware of that ahead of time. Like, hey, if we have this event, we've got this you know, fog or this smoke that we can push out and they won't be able to see you. And if you just stay put, yeah. you know, the police will come. I, I, that, to me, that's ridiculous. I, I agree with you. And uh, I actually saw an episode of, um, I saw it on video afterwards. It was an NBC News program where there was a school in Indiana that was outfitted with about $350,000 worth of security technology equipment. And they called it the safest school in America. And they did an episode there, and the, uh, the correspondent was in the hallway, and at one point, uh, okay, we have a shooter, and they deployed this smoke, the fog. So the reporter is walking through the fog, he has his cell phone, and he's selfieing himself on video. He's saying, I'm walking through the fog now. You can definitely feel the fog. And he's continuing to talk, continuing to walk. In other words, he was disproving what he was saying. He was saying it's effective, yet he's disproving it as he walks through it. Wow. So Fog doesn't stop anyone. Uh, we have been to shows where um, security integrators from South America, Central America, Mexico have all come up to us and told us fog doesn't work, smoke doesn't work. They use it in retail stores for robberies. All it does is piss off the robber who shoots into the smoke. Right. That's what they're saying. Right. And then, first of all, in America, it's, it's, not, it's not code compliant. You cannot block egress for more than 30 seconds. That smoke takes 30 minutes to clear out. Secondly, when a cop gets there, if I'm, a, if I'm responding, I don't know what I'm going into. I'm going to wait till, till it clears. And then what, it's just insanity to fill a hallway that no one can see anything. So for places that are unable to deploy, you know, various security measures that they cost a lot of money, right? I mean, let, you know, you're talking about this school outfit of the system with, you know, 350 thousand dollars worth of equipment that's a lot of money to spend on a system so if they don't have that those funds is there a way that they can you know is it you know are putting guards uh in a location like a school i mean is that deterring you know is that something that maybe some places should look at as as an alternative you know do we put a, a guard an arm you know police officer or off-duty officer at you know or someone who's adequately trained at each entrance to the to the building or what i'm hearing you're saying is no take and stop using people use the technology as much as possible so i mean i've had some really interesting guests on here with all kinds of, of different solutions and technologies that exist so there's a lot of stuff out there mm -hmm. and it all doesn't have to necessarily be that expensive right i mean some of it can be of course um, yeah. but a system like yours 
for, say, deploying in maybe a smaller school, is it affordable for them? And, you know, affordable is kind of a, you know, very broad term, but a, a school that has maybe not that big, large of a budget, is there a way for them to maybe be able to deploy it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- these are good points. Uh, cost is, when I talk about schools, cost is always an issue, always is. Most organizations and schools especially have their budgets determined in advance. Uh, we can't just walk into a school and they say, all right, put it in next week. We, we have a half million dollars for you. It doesn't work that way. We have financing options. We work with people. We try to keep costs down. We put things in, in phases sometimes. We recognize that cost is an expense. But we ask them, if you take a look at your building, whether it be a school or an office building or a manufacturing facility, whatever it is, and you determine that you are vulnerable against and you want to do something to increase your level of security against an armed intruder, you're going to spend money on something anyway. If you want to add extra guards, that's a recurring cost. Ours is a one-time cost with minimal maintenance. If you want to spend money on metal detectors, I always say, that's great, that's wonderful. If you're going to a football game, you're going to go through them because they don't want in the facility, that's fine. But if I'm a determined killer and I want to go, I'm going to walk right through that and shoot the unarmed person standing there with the wand. It's over. So looking at things realistically, there are expenses that you're already incurring. Like schools want to bring on more school resource officers. Let me, let me be clear. We never say that we replace everything. We complete your program. Rather than put five guys with guns patrolling a high school for the incredibly unlikely event, of an active shooter. Have one, maybe have two if it makes you feel better and want to see that, that's fine because they do a variety of things in addition to fighting crime. I I have no problem with that. We're not saying don't use people. We're saying use technology smart so that way it's always where you want it to be. It's always ready to go. Many school resource officers go home at four or five o'clock, they're done. If you have an event that night, you have a basketball game, you have a dance, you have a prom, Do you have one there then? Can they be in every part of the building at every moment? No. So you have to think about what are you spending your money on? Would you rather have it be always ready, always there when you need it, where you need it? Or hopefully the person that you hired is going to be near it. Uh, In the Pulse nightclub situation in Miami, we saw 49 dead and another 52 shot, I believe, and there was an off-duty, in-uniform Orlando police detective working security in the nightclub. Yeah. He was already, and he did a great, he was on, jumped on the radio, did the best he could do, but he was, they figured, we've got the best, we've got a cop in uniform here, we're good. Active shooters who are determined do not care about that. No. But in Parkland, Florida, SROs, we, we've seen it. They, they, if they really want to do it, they're going to do it. They'll do it, whatever they, but, but, but by any means necessary. And that means mm-hmm. attain the guns, too. If they're a criminal, they're going to find ways to get the guns. As a police officer, you know that for a fact. Criminals yeah, I never, I never arrested anybody for a shooting that had a permit. I, I, never, I never seized AK-47s from drug dealers' apartments and had them say, I mean, that's licensed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously. It's I mean, not- <laughs> Maybe no, a mentally mental just, health yeah. kid like, you know, someone from a school, that's a little different situation. They could get the weapons, mm-hmm. but they would have a little bit harder time looking at mental illness, looking at, you know, kids mm-hmm. and lock locking guns and having better rules and regulations if you are a licensed uh, gun carrier to make sure they have it locked so that your kids don't mm-hmm. get it. 
which a lot of some of these actors happens kids. But again, mm-hmm. those things could ultimately their products pop in a second. Imagine a seventeen-year-old with a gun and everything comes down on them. They're not. They're right. going to be like in absolute shock. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there was a will. There's a way, and and yeah. people are always going to find a way to perpetrate violence if they wish to do so. And there's a mm-hmm. million reasons why, and we could speculate, you know, till you know next week about why this happens. But you know, it could be obviously something not just of a mental nature, but somebody could have some sort of physical ailment, right? And they're, they're painkillers and they're in pain all the time. And the physical pain is, is causing them harm. And they, they start to blame the doctors. So they decide to shoot mm-hmm. up a clinic. Like there's so many dynamic, you know, things right. that can happen. There's so many variables that for us to try and figure out all of them, I feel is impossible. It, there are too many variables. And so what do we do? We do something like Dan, what, Cortega has, which is a product that doesn't care why the person is doing it. You just know that the person is attempting to commit crime. They're attempting to commit violence. They're attempting to kill people, Mm -hmm. whatever it is they're they're there to do. And so the system gets deployed, the threat is neutralized, and hopefully nobody is hurt or injured, you know, in the process, or at least the the damage, the loss of life, the injuries are kept to a, a very, you know, low minimum. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, and I think that's, you know, that's an awesome solution because just throwing more people at it by arming teachers, by adding more guards with guns, you know, you're, I think that actually adds even more of a risk because how do you know that the guy at the security company that was just hired is mentally stable? Yeah, he passed a background check. Yeah, he did a psychiatric evaluation, but it might have been four years ago and his yeah. girlfriend just dumped him permanently last week. He's in major debt. He doesn't know what to do. He's under a lot of pressure. His car just got repossessed. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you don't know what's going yeah. on in anybody's exactly. life at any point in time. Right. Yeah. That's really why yeah. we need something. Great points. A couple of things really quick I want to jump on that you just talked about. First is the mental health thing. Um, I agree. We simply can't know what's in the hearts and minds of every person in the world. We can't. It's impossible. I do believe in and I've been a practitioner of uh, threat assessment and uh, management of uh, threats and disturbing behavior, trying to take cases. Once you become aware of something, handling it properly to move it away from violence can be very effective. The problem is it's the tip of the iceberg. It's what you don't know. And what you don't know is much bigger than what you do know. So it's always the unknown, well, usually the unknown that walks in the door, or somebody knew about it, but they didn't know how to handle it properly. So there's, there's something to be said for handling the cases properly. But you do have to have the fallback. Our tool is that, is the okay, we had no idea this was going to happen, and it just happened, but we're ready for it, just like a fire. You can walk around all day long and inspect all your wires and have your electrician say everything's up to code, but you can still have a fire, you know? It happens where it's going to happen. Do you believe that violence is possible to prevent? Or is this something that we just have to come to grips with that it's not going away, it may even get worse, and therefore we need to come up with some creative ways to deal with it? I think it's with, with uh, in America, I'm not sure what we have, 375 million people or something like that. Each one has their story. Each one has their stresses. Uh, and there are certain predictable behaviors that people start engaging in under certain stresses that are leading them in a bad area. And I think you can intervene. If, if you know what you're doing, you can intervene. You can help people. I've been involved in those cases before. It's very satisfying. Sometimes a person can be helped easily, sometimes not so much. Um, but I, I think we have to be cognizant of the fact we have a greater societal issue. One of the things that I find fascinating 
is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, if you've ever heard of him. Oh, he's awesome. I love Dave Grossman. I've read everything he's written. I've met him several times, and I can tell you that Yeah, he's he's spot on with the bulletproof mind. I've read that too, and uh, it's a tremendous work, and it also gives people the ability to look at things a lot differently, uh, and especially to put themselves in situations that they never may have thought of before. And uh, that's a that's a huge, huge uh, benefit that he's given to people. You know, kids to play violent games that make it okay, and they're all about shooting. So we wonder why, you know, Johnny picks up dad's gun and goes and shoots somebody when he has a problem with it, because that's how he, he plays, comes home and spends 12 hours playing those games. Yeah, that's, I've, I got a lot of issues with that. I mean, my kids like playing stuff like that. I try to limit it, you know, and it's, you don't know what all of these different things are doing to this generation as they're growing up. They're being uh, sort of numb. They're becoming numb to the violence, you know, in horror movies and gore in violent video games, uh, television shows and movies and all of these things are all, you know, coming at them. And meanwhile, they've got three streams of information too, right? They've got the Xbox, they've got the cell phone and, you know, maybe they've got, uh, you know, something else going on too. And it's like, I don't know what, what the solution is. I just know that we've got a lot of problems that have to be dealt with. I agree with you. And another, another problem I think is driving a great deal of it is, and this is a kind of a higher level issue, is the breakdown of the family in America. Um, the, family, the breakdown of it, the frequency of divorce, the frequency of kids not knowing who their father is, the frequency of, of mom having to work two jobs or whatever, uh, and kids coming home to nobody. Um, gangs, uh, the proliferation of gangs and all the violence they bring with them. We have societal issues like that that are going on, and so much of it. In my work in the inner city and the NYPD as a cop and detective, I can tell you I saw so much, so much of young kids on their own raising themselves. That's, that's so sad. And but So that's, that's a, that leads into my, my, one of my last questions here, which is how does law enforcement view this shooter suppression system? It's interesting um, because it's so new. It, it's to me, it's it's kind of a an interesting concept because it's not new. It's the same thing as for fire, but it's very new to the security and life safety world. And they all look at it like, oh, how could that work? That won't work. But a lot of a lot of times, it's it's um, viewed by cops as well. That's our territory. Uh, active shooter happens. Get out of the way. It's cop. It's cop business. And I get that. Yes, it is. But. This product is all about officer safety as well. If I was a chief, the last thing in the world I would want to do is have my cops have to go in and get involved in gunfights if it could be avoided. Right. And this is a way that you can cut that down. Right. Absolutely cut it down. Cut down the risk to the entire... If, if you're a police chief, you're responsible for the safety and security of the people in your municipality or in your governmental area. The last thing in the world you want to do is make situations happen where your cops have to get into gunfights if you can avoid it. It's just better for everybody not to. It'll be interesting to see if any sort of uh, federal money comes down for stuff like this, because I know there is money out there for various safety and security measures. I don't know what the definitions of what is included or not included, but it would be fantastic if something like this system is included in those uh, conversations where it's like, you know what, that money can be used for a shooter suppression system. It mm-hmm. can be used for a variety of things, and it doesn't, you know, anything 
that at the end of the day is going to keep people safer and areas more secure. Hey, that's what it's all about, right? Yep, I agree. Well, we'll see. We're attacking uh, this. Uh, we're in an educational situation. We have to educate people as to the benefits of this, uh, the upsides, how minimal the downsides are, the practicality of it. And we are finding that a lot of people are slow to come to the realization. And part of that is because manufacturers who don't make it, uh, if they don't make the product, they're very big believers in their product. Secondly, so-called experts are very big believers in what they know and, and they think they know best. No one wants to hear something from somebody else. And it's sad but true. I was that way too, I'll admit. Yeah. Well, th one of the interesting things about the safety and security space is a lot of people are actually willing to work together, come up with ideas and solutions to keep people safe at the end of the day. And that's one reason why I wanted to bring you on, Dan, because seeing the product at the ISC West show back in April, I wanted to get you on because I'm like, wow, this is something I've never heard about. I didn't know about it. I saw it there. I said, let's get somebody on the show from there to, you know, get that information out to the public. And so, you know, I'll be providing you guys obviously with, uh, you know, this recording and the, and the link so that you yeah. can share it out and let people know, Hey, this is what we're all about. Do you have any, uh, great product, Dan, and, uh, hope we can definitely connect to talk further about some ways we can work together and, uh, um, where's the best place we can find information. And Pete, this is a great guest, great information and de very timely. Do you have any last thoughts for our uh, audience, Dan? I have, um, I have a passion in life, as you do, Pete, and it's protecting people. And it's been my professional career for 35 years, and I've been blessed to be in positions where I've been able to do that. Now I'm in a position with this company where my job is educating people on a new way to look at protecting people against this rising threat of active shooters. And I believe the answer is not to put tanks and huge walls up outside buildings and make our kids feel like they're in prisons or make... People have to go through five layers to get into work. It's just not practical or realistic. I believe that this product is an answer, an answer, at least for now, to something that's going on and rising and causing people to die. Um, my goal is to save lives. Our goal with this product, Jody's only goal, the founder, is to save lives. And we'll be happy when we finally get that installation that's needed and, and it goes off and it saves somebody's life. And I also have a goal. My big, hairy, audacious goal for this product is to see this become code, become a life safety code VA, just like fire suppression and for the very same reasons. Boy, so, that would be incredible. It, it would be, and it would be a very good day for, uh, it would cost money, of course, to retrofit buildings with these, but over time, uh, I think the same thing happened with fire suppression. It becomes another line on a budget when you do a construction project or a retro. So I just, I think it has, it has real merit. Uh, when you look at the downside of not being ready for an active shooter, it's it's too big to not take a significant step. But I I can't thank you enough for this opportunity, Pete. This is a it's been a great conversation, Neil. You as well. I look forward to following up with both of you, and um, thank you for for your belief in our product. Absolutely. Thanks for being on, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in uh, as we wrap up this uh, very informative and interesting episode with uh, Dan Murphy, and we appreciate that. And uh, to get more information on. Uh, as well as links to this episode and past episodes, visit safetytalkpodcast.com. Look for us on your favorite podcast network. And until next time, everybody, stay safe. Thanks for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. 
You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through his speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.